let me paint the scene for y'all right now. I got my coffee that's piping hot right in front of me right here. Just brewed it. My cat Ralph sitting on my lap being a cozy little boy. He's actually being good for once and not just like running around meowing his head off while I'm recording. <laughs> I got a lovely new little plant sitting on my desk here that looks all happy and pretty. It's a sunny day in Seattle. Whoever heard of her? And I just ate a bagel with like the most cream cheese. So I'm feeling good right now. I'm ready to record. I got the energy in me, okay? And of course I'm excited for today's episode because we got another guest. What the heck? So Stephanie goes by, I am Stephanie Michelle on socials, is my guest on the podcast today. And the reason why I reached out to her is, it's a few things. The first one is I have been lurking on her weekly Wednesday emails for at least a year now, year and some change. And I've always really admired the way that she discusses her own relationship with food and experiences within disordered eating. And she talks about this a little bit on the podcast today, so I won't go fully into it. But Stephanie is a certified coach, occupational therapist, intuitive eating counselor, somatic experiencing practitioner with a background in human development and mental health psychology. So (laughs) all of the things, right? And most importantly, she has that lived experience within disordered eating and eating disorders. So I think that that always brings a really unique perspective in this kind of work because then when you're approaching your clients or approaching the content that you're putting out there on socials, you have this unique understanding perspective of, yeah, I was there too. It is scary and frustrating and really confusing when you're dealing with a complicated relationship with food, body image, movement. So Stephanie's disordered eating began when she was 15 years old, dealing with adolescent strife and hormonal shifts, and for the rest of her teens, 20s, and well into her 30s, struggling with bulimia, binge eating disorder, and orthorexia. And it really was not until she had her 40th birthday that she made the decision to challenge diet culture and look into the type of support that was out there, whether that was with a coach, therapist, dietitian. And on her website, she writes, when I tell you that I'm excited to help you, I mean it. I have laid in bed for days, canceled plans, avoided mirrors, and detached from my authentic self, just like you have. And I know there is a different way. You can change your life and start changing the way women in this world are valued and seen. Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths, because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly, here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Abby. <laughs> of course, of course. There, there's so many places that I want to, I want to like go into with this and I don't even know where to get started. So <laughs> I'm just going to like hand the baton to you and I'm just going to say like, 
how do you describe yourself and how did you come into this work? Let's start there. <laughs> okay. There's so many ways I can answer that too. Right. <laughs> um, but I'll start somewhere. So, okay. I, I guess I would describe myself as far as the work I do as a binge eating recovery coach um, mm -hmm. slash like disordered eating uh, recovery coach. Uh, I'm certified as an intuitive eating counselor, um, but I'm also now diving into the world of somatic and nervous system regulation work. So I'm getting certified in um, somatic experiencing as well. Cool. Um, and I also work a lot with body image. So I'm a coach, um, yeah. but first, first I'm a person who has been through it. So to, that's where it started. And that's how I got here because um, I, I never intended to do this work. I was actually an occupational therapist prior to Oh, becoming a coach. I was also on the side, a like sugar detox coach and a wellness coach. And I was doing all Dang. those like, diet culture coach, <laughs> yes. um, but that was like a side thing. I just did uh, basically as a way to fuel my own disorder and to keep it alive. Um, uh -huh. But I, yeah, like I had an eating disorder for 25 years wow. and all of like body image distress. And I just, my whole life was a, was revolved revolved around food and and my body mm -hmm. uh, and, and anxiety and the way that those things intersect with these things um and when i was of 40 years old i it was like my 40th birthday yeah. i started this like recovery process it was literally that day uh and of course the lead up to it was like i had a i spent a year kind of learning about anti diet and what that was and intuitive eating that I, I didn't call it intuitive eating at the time but these ideas had sort of been popping up yeah for me and i was like not ready though and i just was learning about them and sort of letting them marinate and i just got to this place where i was um so utterly exhausted uh truly uh, like with this life with like living like that and I decided to try the kind of all-in approach, and I tried, and that was almost that was four and a half years ago, over four and a half years ago now. So, um, and I was like, if I recover, if I, if this works, if this happens for me, I just want to help other people do that. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I, that's how I got here. I started an Instagram account, and the rest is history. Wow, I know on your website you share a little bit of. Um like how this all started and like on your 40th birthday and how that really just like changed the game for you within relationship with food and body image. Um, and I guess one thing that I find with clients a lot is they have this like preconceived notion that you have to be a certain age or you have to be fully recovered at a certain point, or there's like a timeline in their head of how this looks. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I find it really, really rare that people jump into intuitive eating or anti-diet when they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, because it's been so ingrained in them. And it's it's really scary to jump into that too. Yeah. What, yeah, how did that start for you? Well, because I realized that I could have been sitting here now still dealing with that and i could have been 80 one day still just like that and so uh i also think that around this was also around the time social media to, like became bigger i mean it was there it's been there for a yeah. little while but it, I, I feel like it exploded in this in this conversation mm. I, when i started even when I, I was you know on that that day you know that 40th this was what almost five years ago and yeah. 
it wasn't as much like there weren't as many accounts talking about this as there are now. So there's something I think too about just the prevalence of the discussion. And no matter what age you're at when that's going on, I think more people are just getting into it because of that. Yeah. But I also was feeling like, you know, you have this moment and you're like, I because it was it was like, okay, this decade, this decade is gonna be the decade, <laughs> you know, like the forties are gonna be different than my thirties and was different than my twenties and my teens. Like, mm. I was like, no, it's not. Why is it gonna be any different? Because I I, I had this like thing in the back of my head that was like every time every time you you embark on a different like lifestyle whether it's like low carb or, or fasting or just like even intuition like it was this always this idea of like this is going to be the thing though this time this time feels different this is different i'm like it's not different it's not different it's always the same it's the same thing and i just felt that definition of insanity and i was like wow. that's what i'm going to be doing and this thing that i was this all-in approach this sort of not not trying to lose weight anymore was the only thing different that that was different wow. from all this other stuff that i'd been trying which was just eating disorders under this under a different name mm -hmm. um so to me that was compelling and it was there was this knowing inside of me at that point where i was just like yeah that's pretty much the only thing that's probably ever going to work and i knew it wow. i really knew it and i think it was just that knowing that allowed me to move through that process without turning back because it was so terrifying but I just, you know, when you know something, you're just like, this is what I need. And if it's not this, like, I'm just going to end up back here in 10 more years and have wasted all that time. Um, yeah. That's what it felt like. Wow. It's, I, I love hearing you say that one, because it is so scary to feel like you're just jumping into this deep end, or it's like, you're looking at this cliff and you have no idea what's below you and like, what's about to come. And mm -hmm. especially when you're so entrenched in diet culture and whether it's family, friends, social media, coworkers that are all talking about their diet, their weight loss, like feeling that they can't eat the cupcakes in the break room. It is crazy to go, all right, I'm going to set boundaries with that. I'm going to step out of diet culture. I'm going to learn intuitive eating. Like that feels wild. And like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's also it's also so crazy because it can feel like you're doing the thing that is not wrong but it feels it feels like you're the one that's yeah. doing something that feels wild or crazy or like why, yeah. why are we doing that rather than diet culture and all the false promises that that's offering and yes yeah that is so true and i think about that that was the most present for me with my family i think um because they <sighs> I felt like they thought here she goes again, like doing this uh, thing and, and like they wouldn't have approved of the way I was doing it. You know, it was just sort yeah. of like, you know, because not to say anything bad about my family, it's just that they're, they were part of diet culture. You know, they, they totally. were just representatives. My husband and my friends, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that like there wasn't pressure on that side. And I did feel a certain amount of like, with, with my closest group of people, like there was, there isn't, there was more like, do what you need to do to be happy. They're, they're, they're. Uh pressure system which is not to say that doesn't exist in some groups of friends or, or like you know the farther out you get like that's certainly present in my life but but not in the closest group and that was helpful and I used that but also um I think to be honest this is one of the places that social media has been so helpful um 
because I relied on those voices, even though they were a lot less at the time and, and, you know, there weren't as many people, but the ones that were talking about it, I was like, no pun intended, but I devoured it. I was like, <laughs> yeah, tell me everything, you know, and like, just, just, I will just immerse myself in your content. I, I read the fuck it diet. I, you know, and, and Caroline Jr. at the time was this voice and she's not, so she's talking about other things now, but she, <laughs> at the time was, you know, and I just would keep reading her book and reading her blog and list, and I immersed wow. myself in that. And I don't know that I could have kept going if I didn't have that kind of immersion because diet culture itself is immersive and I needed to have a different place to immerse myself in and to go to that felt like this is the, this is where I need to be. I need to just keep my eye here. I need to like kind of screen out the rest of it. And so social media was a place that I really relied on yeah. heavily to help keep me going when, cause it was hard. I cried every day in that first year. Well, yeah. first six months. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm also very open about sharing my own relationship with food and where that used to be, where it's at now. And I struggled with eating disorders for a really long time. And now I feel that I'm at a place that is full recovery. I mean, that doesn't mean that doesn't come with shitty body image days or that doesn't come with, you know, yeah sometimes being a little influenced by diet culture and that uh, we're human, we're surrounded by this yeah. all the time. And I, I love how you're describing just fully immersing yourself in seriously the exact opposite of diet culture and looking at this intuitive eating body neutrality aspect of things. And that's, that's something that I talk about with my clients too, where some people feel that that's really inaccessible to them because a lot of diet culture can also be this form of protection or safety against those fat phobic relatives or friends yeah. or social media. And then there's other people that go, no, I had to fully immerse myself in order to feel protected or serve as this boundary against diet culture. So I love hearing those different experiences and how how that was for you, because I think everyone is so different in that journey. Everyone is so yeah. different in like jumping into their recovery that it's always mm -hmm. really helpful to hear that. Um, one of the things that I've heard you talk about on other podcasts or maybe even on your website or emails, I'm not sure <laughs> is your, your like Tetris analogy yeah. um, within recovery. Can you share a little bit about that and what exactly yeah. that is? Yeah. So I'm going to be putting a, I'm going to be reposting that soon. Cause it's, it's about time okay. to, to put that up again. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, well, I also don't know to what extent I'm dating myself. Like, is Tetris even a thing that people play anymore? Totally. I okay. love Tetris. Okay. <laughs> well, because I mean, I played it as a kid and that's essentially what the metaphor comes from. And yeah, right. So it's like all these little shapes and pieces that fit together in some kind of way. And you, it's our job to fit them together. And then the more that you're fitting together, the more lines you're creating and then the more space you create to, to mm. sort of like build more. Right. So I talk about, um, all the work, like I, I mean, I, my podcast co-host says that she puts it this way and I think it's so good. She's like, I, I feel like I was trying to recover from the first day I had an eating disorder, which is true. Like, I, I feel uh -huh. like I spent 25 years in disorder, but the whole time trying to get out of it. So yeah, I was always reading, um, going to therapy, um, podcasts weren't around as much then, but I was like doing all the self-help stuff. I went to all these, I went to different workshops and things like I was doing all, everything I could do to figure out. Of course, I was trying to figure out how to stop binging without figuring out how to stop restricting. That was yeah. why it worked. But I was learning a lot about like the emotional side of things and, and doing all stuff, but nothing was actually helping me. And I was really frustrated for years. Cause I was like, how could I have spent decades working on myself 
and yet be in the same place. Like, it's like, I've done nothing at all. Well, in recovery, it was kind of like all of that, all of that work that had never amounted to anything before suddenly made sense. And I think about like the way that I compare that with Tetris is like, you can do a lot of work and put these pieces together in different corners of your board. And maybe over here on the left top corner, it's like, you're working on your relationship with boundaries and family and relationship dynamics. And maybe on the other side, you're working on your relationship with yourself and your self-esteem and your self-worth and these things. And you can put lots of different like things together and have them all fit, but them not join up. And I feel like recovery was the time was where I got that piece that long, usually that long line that yeah. like gave me, it like joined them all up. And then all of a sudden they all started connecting together and they made sense together and all this space cleared. Yeah. I like to talk about that because it's not hopeless. All the work you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. If you feel like you're not getting anywhere with it, I really do think that you are doing stuff. You're building like lots of pieces that are eventually going to like merge and yeah. like, become something bigger um, or, or less, I suppose, in that analogy, but that it's sometimes like there, we have these missing pieces that um, like, and to me, that's what this non-diet, like not pursuing weight, weight, weight loss was and giving myself more permission instead of less. This was my missing piece that I had never done anything like that. But once that started, that. everything else made sense. All the emotional stuff I had done, all that work on myself, like started to actually come into play. Oh, um, Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, That also just makes me think of when clients come into session and they go, I don't really know if I want to talk about anything related to uh, diets, body image, blah, blah, blah. Can I just gossip with you for a little bit? And I'm like, that is still relevant. I'm like, yes, I love these sessions too. I'm like, (laughs) I am here with you through all of this. And I think that also kind of fits in that Tetris analogy where Sometimes that client will go into that session feeling, oh, this is going to be a waste of time. I don't really have anything on my mind today. Or I don't feel like talking about this. And then we start gossiping. We start talking about people in their life. We start talking about things going on. And then all of a sudden they walk out of that session and go, I didn't know how much that was weighing on me. Yeah, That feels like there is this pressure off of my shoulders. And yeah. that actually was really helpful. Yeah. And all of that fits into this work too of, you know, we carry so many things and so much stress and anxiety and worry. And a lot of that can go into just how go, go, go our society is, Mm -hmm. how like everyone is, has their head down working so hard, whether they're taking care of their family, they have a 40 hour work week, they're in school or whatever they're doing. And I, I love that this Tetris analogy is just looking at, yeah, bringing these things down, things slowly coming together, even if it doesn't feel like it. And then all of a sudden, all that space clearing. And it's like, I have this room to breathe now. I have this space to, this is mine. Yeah. Um, I love that. Uh, Another thing that I, I talk a lot about with clients and something that I hear you discuss is these feelings of discomfort that come up, whether that is that anxiety, depression, or if it's feeling hopeless, despair. Um, and a lot of the times, especially within binge eating, looking for food to feel like it's going to fix that emotion. And I guess what, what I'm looking to like talk about with you is when, where, where do those feelings go when food isn't that outlet or what happens when we look for food to be that fix? And then it's, great. That emotion is still there. Now, what, what, what do I do? Yeah. Now? You know? 
I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about how I think I used to think about like feeling emotions, which is kind of what they say, right? It's like, yeah. you have to feel your emotions. And I remember being like, how, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and I, I asked my, I think on the, on my podcast once I said to my co-host, who's a therapist. And I was like, you, you'll know the answer to this. Like how, walk me through it. Like what does feeling an emotion look like for you? Like, yeah. cause I couldn't picture it. And I think in my mind, it was always this, like, if you were going to feel an emotion and let them be, because again, the binge eating can be a way of pushing them down or numbing them or distracting from them or actually expressing them. Cause I used to binge yeah. eat anger. Like it was like a, that angry, violent expression. Um, but like, if you're not going to do that, then you have to feel it. And what does that mean? And it's the way that I thought about it yesterday. I was like, I think just feeling an emotion is not actually doing anything different behaviorally. It's just moving through your life the same way that you normally would, but just willing to be sad while you do it. Or like willing to have like that emotion just be there as you do it <clears throat> instead of assuming that you're supposed to be like, happy or, or like even okay or all the time. And I realized this because on Sunday this past weekend, like I had an emotion mm-hmm. and I felt it and I didn't do anything to feel it except be willing to be like, just to not expect myself to need to feel better that day. Like it was just like, I'm okay. I accept that I'm going to be driving my kids to lacrosse practice and doing my dishes and making lunches for my kids, you know, school tomorrow. And I'm going to be doing that in kind of like a blah state (laughs) like that that's just kind of the way I feel today and not resisting that like it's it's willing to be because it's not comfortable if I I feel like when I feel like that I'm like something's wrong like I need to fix it I don't what is going on I'm very like I get very curious and like intellectually about it and it was just kind of like oh it's just the way I feel today and tomorrow might feel different um I don't have to do anything about this like it's not something I need to fix or move away from it's just something I have to like get through (laughs) and that's a completely different even though it sounds kind of simple, but it, it, it's something that I think normally if I was pushing an emotion away, which I sometimes still try to do in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like a, it's almost like holding on to this idea that it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I'm supposed to be doing something differently. And I'm, my, my goal is to not be doing it with this feeling. Cause it's just not a good, it just doesn't feel good, but it's a willingness, I think, to just not feel good that day <laughs> or to yeah. do that moment or whatever it is. Totally. Something that I notice a lot with more so my adolescent clients and the parents is the parents always looking for this. How do we fix this? How do we fix this uncomfortable emotion? How do we fix this eating disorder? How do we fix this? And I always have to do a hard stop with them and go, hey, let's let's pause on this for a second because we're not necessarily looking to fix anything. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. It's okay that they're feeling this discomfort. It's okay that things feel hard or shitty right now. This is all expected. This is also valid and very much part of, yeah, what they're experiencing. And I get that struggling with binge eating or any eating disorder, disordered eating for that matter, it's hard. It is hard. And a lot of the times people think that it's this, this notion of, this is something that I'm doing and it's not out of an emotional response. It's just happening. I don't know why. And then other times there's clients that go, no, I know why this is happening. It's because I'm feeling this uncomfortable emotion and I want that emotion to go away and I need mm-hmm. to fix it. So something I talk about with clients too is, is very much that, that experience of, Hey, we can acknowledge these emotions. And then if we want to do something with them, we can, 
we also don't have to. Yeah, we don't need to be in this fix it mentality where we feel like something's broken and it needs fixing. Yeah. It could also just be we're sitting in this suck together. It, which we will do forever. The thing yeah. that happened when I recovered, you know, was that I was like, oh, <laughs> I still feel things. Like I assumed. <laughs> I put everything in the eating disorder bucket. I was like, the reason I feel that's so true pain and suffer and and like loneliness and grief and then like insecurity and vulnerability. The reason why is all because I have an eating disorder and yes. because I have a good body image. And it's like if I could just not ha- ha- fix those, if I could fix those things, like as if those emotions would go away. Yeah, I realized that that was just projection. And mm-hmm. when I recovered, and I'm like, oh, I still ex- to this day I still experience grief and loneliness and feelings of isolation and feelings of, you know, like they all still exist. They just, we aren't going to fix them. So they're not going to go away. And I think that we can compound them. I think that the, the disorder can be compound, can compound those feelings and also pushing them down can compound them, but we will never fix them. And it's kind of this like, okay, again, this, this like radical acceptance of, I'm not going to not be human. Like I'm going to have this full spectrum of human emotions for the rest of my life, no matter what I fix. <laughs> like yeah, it, will either, no, it will be whack-a-mole. It will find its way to come up in something else. That's what it does. That's what it will do. And it will be about something else, but it will be the same feeling. And so that too is like something I remember when I'm like tempted to blame my emotion on this thing, whether, you know, now it's not my body. Sometimes it's my body image, but but sometimes it's like, Mm-hmm. work or my husband or my kids or whatever. And it's like, no, this is the same feeling you felt your whole darn life. It just uh-huh. is through this lens now. And it's just attaching to that thing, but it's not about that. This is just an experience that I'm having yeah. and it will also pass. Um, it's less likely to pass though, if I'm telling myself stories about it and trying to make it go away. So now it's just kind of, a, there's just a little more relaxing into bad moods and bad days and just letting what they are because they don't last forever anymore. Yeah. Something that I'll say to myself or ask myself and my clients too, is being curious with this. If it wasn't my body, what else might I be thinking about? Right. Going exactly into what you just said of, is it work? Is it school? Is it, you know, drama with friends? Did you get in a fight with your partner? What else is happening in your life? And sometimes it is something else, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it is just, I woke up and I'm having the bad body image day. Yeah. Sometimes it is just food is, is extra difficult today, or my relationship with food is extra difficult. Um, and I, I can't quite remember what you said, but it, it reminded me of something of just how social media really portrays this. We always have to be on. We always have to have the same level of energy, productivity, um, emotions, and mm-hmm. really starting to normalize this we're human. That is not possible for us yeah. to always be at this exact same level. It is normal and okay to have fluctuations. It is normal and okay to experience a myriad of emotions, uncomfortable, comfortable. Um, yeah. And I, I also want to know your take on, um, I, I think that food can really be this thing where sometimes it is just comfort and that's all it is. And sure, sometimes there's like emotions that can come from it, but we, it's okay to look at food as something for comfort. And it doesn't have to be this thing that is bad. It doesn't have to just be for hunger. And if we aren't eating just for hunger, then it's shameful. Yes. So something that gets confused a lot, I see with my own clients is especially at the beginning 
is this like when when there's this kind of permission to eat and even this d like we're not pathologizing emotional eating anymore but sometimes that can be misinterpreted as okay then i have permission to binge or i now have permission to emotionally eat and check out and mm -hmm. i think about emotionally eating as like an active process like you're using yeah. food intentionally sort of or or like with your eyes wide open that you're yeah. eating to help feel like comfort yourself in certain ways and that's different than being like i just feel like checking out because i want to push this emotion away you know what i mean like i want to make something disappear again sometimes actually yeah. it's it is a distraction and like i've used food to yeah. distract from an emotion on purpose but it's 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 there's a level of consciousness that that is different um but I think why that's scary and why it would have been scary for me at one time to think of it like that is because I would have assumed that if I started eating emotionally, I would just never stop. Like it would open a floodgate and I would, it would last forever. Same with feelings. I felt like if I felt a feeling, if I started to feel it, it would never stop. I didn't trust that it would end. Uh -huh. But that was more of like my own making because of the ways that I, I was having a relationship with that feeling or that food um, and the ways I was restricting both. But to me, like, having it is actually really not I, I i can't believe i'm saying this but i i think it's really nice sometimes to use food as comfort it's really it's the bill sometimes it's like it the does. perfect thing you're like <laughs> oh it's friday night it's raining like i'm kind of in a mood like i'm burnt yeah. out for the week, and i just want to like eat pizza and watch a movie and like maybe have some ice cream too. like i i just yep. like to, sometimes i'm like that's exactly what i'm doing as a way of like decompressing or as a way of I don't know, like making myself feel better about, I don't know, whatever, whatever might've happened. And I will do that with like kind of excitement, <laughs> like, okay. but it's not, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. I was like, totally. I, yeah. I, I feel that. But I think it's easier when it doesn't feel like, oh my gosh. And if I start doing that, I will binge. Like I will, con I will continue to binge and binge and binge because without the restriction factor, it becomes like what it's intended to be. It just, it just is this moment of self-soothing and it has a beginning and it has an end. And after it's over, I still might have that emotion. Like I still might feel, I'm not going to feel happy for it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to feel like well, that was nice and comforting. Um, I still feel my feeling. I'm also not afraid of that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like, a, there's a tolerance in all of it, like of being able to say, I'm not, it, it's to your point, I'm not fixing anything through this, but I am just sort of like comforting myself sometimes. And that is fine. Like that's what food does. It's part of food's yeah. like purpose in, in our, you know, it's just, it's silly. It's, it's just like, it's so interesting to me how much I used to uh like pathologize that and and how how our, our our society just like enforces that pathology i resonate with that there was a time in my life for a long time where i would pathologize that and just be so hard on myself for using food anything other than just for hunger yeah and that's something that clients ask me a lot too is what is normal eating or they say i just want to be a normal eater i just want to normally eat and I'll always go back to the question of what is that? Like, what does that look like for you? Because normal is so subjective. It's different for every single person. And so is normal eating for you something that could be attainable? If, if we're thinking mm -hmm. that normal eating is just eating for hunger, does that yeah. really make sense? Yeah, um, right. Because food could be for comfort. It could be for celebration. It could just be because the food is around us and Mm -hmm. it looks good or smells good right yeah so yeah many reasons for why we eat 
yes a hundred percent i feel like there's a very robotic like idea behind eating food for fuel but it's so yeah i get it i get why people Same. feel that way because i remember like i used to listen to podcasts and like want to emulate these people who just seemed like robots like they just were like yes. they just don't have any needs <laughs> like they just they're, they're so disciplined you know and it was like yes. there there's this portrayal of that as like holier than thou and and just really like this this there's something really like elevated about it and i feel like in it's only in the marketing i feel like there's yes. nothing actually elevated about that in real life especially working with people who come to me with from that place and who are like i have an eating disorder behind the scenes and mm -hmm. like it's not like i'm not it's not what it's promised to be it feels empty and numbed and you know whether it has a binge response going on in the background or it's just a restrictive ends up just a restrictive eating disorder it's it's really um lonely and it's really yeah. like empty is the word that comes up a lot i haven't met anyone who eats that way and like and is happy <laughs> like I, just, yeah. I haven't found them yet granted yeah. i have a bias sample but i i just feel like it's 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 just marketing uh, to me yeah 100% um i i was thinking about my own experience with my eating disorders especially in college where i would put this mask on of everything is great i'm so healthy i'm doing all the right things and yes. and then at the end of the day i go went back to my dorm room freshman year and then would binge on a pint of ben and jerry's and a whole cereal box and go yeah. what the fuck am i doing i i i don't like doing this but i don't know why i'm doing this and i don't know what i need in order to feel happy or comfort or whatever emotion it was that i again was looking to fix yeah but it goes back to you know that feeling of shame or feeling that I was alone in those experiences and then being super scared to acknowledge and feel any emotion that came up. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's, it's this experience of, especially when you're going through life changes or, um, you're going through something uncomfortable in your life where a lot of the times that's when the eating disorder, disordered eating can come up more because that's really all we know is that form of protection or in yeah. a sense like comfort mm -hmm. right because again these behaviors and emotions are something that can for a moment numb those emotions and feelings yeah but then at the end of it it's okay i'm still left with this emotion or feeling yeah. what well numbing i think numbing emotions out can feel comforting right like totally. it's, it is comforting because you don't have to feel it. you get this temporary relief yeah. It's just that it has this a more far-reaching effect and that yep. if we're numbing chronically, it's, you are putting something off, you are escaping it in that moment, but it's, it's building something else that we're like, it's exacerbating the, the problem long-term and then we're, and then emotions. And then also what we're doing, I think, is creating more of this polarized experience of like, we either feel deeply and eat a ton and like, feel like we're going to overflow or be out of control with our feelings, which I used to feel mm -hmm. or be completely numbed out and like not yeah. need it at all. And, you know, and the more, and then those are become the only two options because the more that we're pushing into the numbness, the more we're having these rebounds of out of controlness. And then we believe like, and they keep getting, and then they, it's like, these are the only two states essentially that we're mm -hmm. ever living in. And I feel like 
Ooh, I mean, even just talking about that, I remember, like, I remember living like that. I remember the, the experience that I have now of being like <laughs> more in the middle of living. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, this was not accessible to me before it was like one or the other and neither were, I mean, one was like a, a, a short-term high and the other one was this, God, they, they just, yeah. they just didn't give you much choice to, to like live anywhere that wasn't extreme, you know? Totally. Yes. And diet culture marketing really feeds off of that. They go, Hey, there's two extremes that you're living in right now. Yeah. Let's give you two other extremes. And then this is how we're going to live. Yeah. And it's really scary to think about not living in this black and white and more so being in the gray or the middle of it all. And going back again to just feeling the feelings or acknowledging it and going, yeah, this is what's going on right now. And it's okay if it's uncomfortable, instead of feeling that you have to do something with it, you have to live on these extremes and always be in this like fight or flight type response. Yeah. Well, that is another thing I feel really passionately about, which is kind of like, I used to also think that living in the middle was boring. Like it, it oh, felt yeah. kind of like, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and like I think that was also because I was more comfortable in fight or flight like I was I I my nervous system was wired that way like I liked I liked black and white I liked high highs and low lows and that's ex essentially what the binge restriction cycle is and I was comfortable there because that's what I knew and to me anything different was like boring <laughs> um I had to face a lot of that discomfort actually in, because that's what, yeah. Like when I, when I have a binge and then I'm not meeting it with like restriction or vice versa, when I'm not, when I'm restricting and not meet, and then not like having this big old binge, it's like anticlimactic. There's something about it. That's almost like a buzzkill. And I think that that is the nature of like having a dysregulated nervous system that sort of thrives, thrives on dysregulation. Like it, that's what feels like home. Uh -huh. And that was a, a, I work with the nervous system now because I, I feel really, I think that you can get stuck in that where it's not, it's like the gray area and that normal eating place can, can sound like what we want in theory, but in practice, it seem it's can be really, I don't know, dull or mm -hmm. just like, I don't, I don't know, like, yeah, anticlimactic. There's something about it. It's not as exciting. Um, and if you don't, if your life is crowded out, all like all the like the stuff of like you know being able to socialize freely and I mean, if your life is revolving around food and your body then when you land in that middle place and you're not you don't need the extremes of those things it is kind of empty because because there's nothing yeah. you've cultivated in the middle you know what i mean so you're sort of left like well i'd rather go back to these extremes because at least i felt something or at yeah. least I going you know at least that was movement of some kind yeah completely completely I really resonated with the gray area feels boring and we don't necessarily want that when we're starting out in recovery or we're just always feeling really elevated. Um, last night I was talking with my boyfriend about just feeling really, this is like off topic, but kind of related um, about feeling really stuck with my phone of, I feel like I, I'm really drawn to opening my phone, going on social media, scrolling and my brain always being stimulated. Yeah. And I feel like that's really similar within an eating disorder or diet culture of feeling almost stimulated by those extremes. Yeah. And so I was telling him, I want to practice 
letting my brain be bored. So especially before <laughs> I'm going to bed of it's okay if I feel bored or I feel like I'm having a hard time falling asleep. I'm not going to just open up my phone again, scroll on social media just to yeah. feel something or just to feel yes. stimulated because that is really tiring all the time. And similarly, when we're fighting with these other extremes, it's exhausting at the end of the day yeah. and it impacts our nervous system for sure. Yes, it does. I just saw this really funny uh, reel, which I, I have to post it somewhere. It was a comedian <laughs> and he was talking about like, um, basically like the life before cell phones when we didn't have all this stimulation, all this do dopamine, he was like, we were actually mindful. Like he was like, I didn't know I was such a guru. He's like, but before I used to just wait in line and like, I would just be in line. Like, and now we're always, and it's true. We're always, we lost inherent mindfulness or inherent, like, yeah. like decalibrated the, the way that our brain expects rewards mm -hmm. and there's a book called dopamine nation that um talks about like uh the strategy of of basically abstinence for a little while mm. so that your brain can actually get more comfortable with not being stimulated all the time not having to have all these highs and lows all the time and and that the, essentially like we have to rewire our brain back out of that which which i mean when i think about that when i went into recovery was essentially that like i wasn't meeting my binges with restriction anymore. And so that I was forced to not use the opposite extreme as, as a source of stimulation. And eventually that did sort of, again, again, I don't find life boring now. Like I don't feel bored, <laughs> even yeah. though it's more in the gray area, but I had to work towards that by taking something that was providing me with this like hamster wheel of being inside of that loop. I had to take it away um, so that my brain could like reacclimate to just being normal or just yeah. being or whatever it might be and that that actually has been it's the opposite of boring i think at the end of the day what that did was open me up to being more creative me being more peaceful being more grounded like i get so much more out of life in this place than i ever did in that place even though it reads maybe on the outside as less exciting from that like hit point of view mm -hmm. or people viewing it as oh you're not disciplined you don't have willpower well, it's not really, no, and it doesn't even have anything to do with that either. Why Nothing. is restricting no. yourself have something to do with discipline? Yeah, uh, no, it, it's, yeah. I, I have completely rejected that idea. So yeah. like so securely, I just feel like that is such BS, like that whole idea of a eating disorder being disciplined or like being smaller, being, I, my, I feel like, um, I don't know, like just the ways in which you have access to success of however you want, want to, whatever that means to you uh -huh. is much, much, much broader when you're living a life. Um, in the gray area, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's in living like there's, that's where that, that is. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to live your life when you are struggling with an eating disorder and thoughts are just clouded by what am I going to eat today? Yeah, when, when can I binge? Yeah. What are people, how are people perceiving me? What does my body look like? And yeah. That is a full-time job. It what? is absolutely a full-time job. And there is no time to do other things. Like no. <laughs> nothing no. else really matters to you as much. So no. it's very limiting. And it's, to me, it's like, it's almost like, it's like being trapped in, in something that looks, I guess, looks like discipline to some people, but it's just, yeah emptiness like that ultimately and I really understood that once I got out of it
Yeah. When I look back, so I was in college from 2015 to 2019. And when I look back on college, I really was struggling with an eating disorder all those years. And it started in high school, but like college was really when like it came up the most. And there were certainly times where I was having fun with friends. I was making memories. I was just being like a college kid. But a lot of those memories are clouded with I don't really actually fully remember what we were doing that night or who I was with, what was going on, but I can certainly remember how I felt in my body, what I was thinking about food, how stressed I was about when I could go work out. And and that really holds a place in my mind. And I, I truthfully don't miss that. There's, there's certainly times where I grieve like past Abby and not really having that full experience of college, but then I also have mm-hmm. to catch myself and go, well, what even is that? Everyone experiences that differently. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm but, with you. <laughs> I, I feel you on, on like looking into the future when thinking about recovery and going, wow, I don't want to be X years old and still struggling with living in the black and white and how really living in this gray area helps connect you with your authentic self, who you are, you get to understand who you are and and live in that more. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so much more rewarding, comforting, sometimes uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, you're feeling more connected with the things that you're doing, the people in your life and your interests and things. Yeah. It's like, you feel like you're actually living (laughs) until I got there. I was always like waiting to. Yeah. But that's what I felt like I was doing is like losing enough weight or like, I don't know, everything just felt like I'm about to live. I'm about to do the thing as soon as I, you know, like as soon as I get my body like this, or as soon as I equal, you know, make my calories equal to this or, or whatever, everything was always like about to happen. And now yeah. I feel like it gets to happen now in every single day, <laughs> just as yeah. like I'm actually here. It's like a present moment versus a, like living outside the present moment, I guess. Yeah. The goalpost was always moving. Always. It it was never enough. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how you bring somatic work into working with your clients and and what does that look like? Because I know we've talked about the nervous system a little bit. So I'm really interested on on your team. So when we um, have eating disorders or body image issues, we're pretty disconnected from our body because of what we were talking about. We have learned to like siphon off any feelings which happen in the body. It's like feelings are feel like we are, they're Mm -hmm. actual patients um, that we're crowding out. So preferring to live in our, in our brains. So somatic work is like opening back up the communication between us and our body so that we can understand the signals it's giving us when it's saying I've had enough of something or I don't like the way this person's making me feel or I want more of that like whether that's whatever it is it's 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 being able to read that not just only intellectually but also but from the body and from the signals we're getting so there's a lot of practicing like hearing the body what how the body speaks to us and tolerating sensations in it so that we don't need to like bend or, or restrict to numb them out. Um, but also it is about safety. So one, one, you know, this is a huge theme because in eating disorders are serving a purpose. They're, they're keeping us safe somehow. And I think we all have different ways that it's working for us. Um, but it, we, it's hard to recover if we don't, feel safe enough to like, we have to feel like that middle ground we're talking about has to feel safe enough for us to like be able to be there and to spend time 
So creating a sense of safety in the body um, usually hasn't happened um, because we've developed an eating disorder to take the to kind of fill the gap of what safe is. So it's about learning how to like be here and now and find safety in that and to feel like, and that can, that this happens in a, in a lot of different ways. But for example, I mean, and it's also true that society can be part of the reason we don't feel safe in that. What if my friends or my, I have clients who are like, I'm afraid that if I gain weight in recovery, that my husband won't want to be with me anymore because he's sort of ex explicitly said that, you know, and yeah. that exists. Um, yeah, but... So there are ways, it's like kind of working through like, okay, how, how does, how do you find safety in that from a, the point of view of like working through that on a relationship level, but, but also on the inside, like for yourself, like how does, how does, how does that, the threat of that even, like, how do we get that to feel like something you can manage instead of it feeling like, oh my God, that is, ter that's so terrifying. I can't even go there. You know what I mean? Like just mm -hmm. learning how to cope with things in the world that will feel unsafe and having like your safety come from this core place instead of from the outside, because there's always going to be threats on the outside. Um, you can't control everything and there will be things that feel unsafe, but if there's something internal to you that feels like resilient mm -hmm. or that can cope and you trust yourself, even self-trust is safety. Um, mm -hmm. So it's kind of curating that side of things um, from the felt sense. Yeah. No, I love that. One thing that I talk about with my clients and I, I'm trying to figure out how I can describe this on like a podcast level since I can't use the visuals, but um, I call it the flipping the lid hand model where it's like, <laughs> if, if you have like your hand and like your thumb is like in on your palm and then your like fingers are your like logic brain and your thumb is your emotional brain. When your lid is down, it's like your logic and your emotional brain, they're connected, they're talking and you're able to decipher okay, what is feeling safe for me right now? What is safety for me? Um, is there a, a potential threat that's going on? Whether it's like this anxiety, what are skills or things that I can use to help relieve that emotion? And then when our lid is flipped, then it's like our logic and our emotional brain, they're no longer connected. They're not having that conversation. So we're just feeling the emotion and mm. everything feels overwhelming. Everything feels scary. We don't feel safe. And it's really hard to pause from that, zoom out and go, okay, yeah. what are my surroundings? What's going on right now? Am I really unsafe physically, mentally, emotionally? What am I needing? That's just, we don't have access to that in those moments. And so it makes right. sense that like, we might experience a panic attack. We might look for a binge. We might look for something to numb or distract. Right. And so that somatic work is so important in just understanding, connecting and, and learning what that safety is or looks like for her. Yes. It's basically being able to disengage your primal brain, right? Like yeah. the part of you that's like urgent and emergency driven, you know, like that, that like impulsive action, you know, yeah. and being able to come back to your whole like regulated self, um, to be able to cope, you know, and to be able to deal with what's going on and, and put perspective on what's going on. Yeah. And that is a pra I mean, it sounds like we should have access to that, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't do I, that. No, um, I didn't even know I wasn't doing it, but I wasn't. And I was constantly chronically in, a, in an emergency state and like, 
especially around food in my body and, and all of that. So yeah, it's like a whole new way of having relationship with yourself and with your system and the world around you. Like it's, it's yeah. And I think for people with eating disorders, sometimes, especially when we develop them young, we don't even, we never maybe had a template for that much to begin with, or we don't remember it too well. So it's, okay. it is sort of like learning again. Is it weird if I read a little like excerpt from your, your latest Wednesday email? Oh no, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> I just wanted to, to share this because I think it fits so well with the things that we're talking about. And I, I, I copy and pasted it into my notes for our meeting today. Cause I was like, I think I, I just feel like this will have a place. So you wrote that I'm almost five years recovered. How can that be? And uh, what I have learned from healing is that I wasn't wrong. The shame I felt about my relationship with food was not lack for integrity or discipline or desire or that I wasn't strong enough. I didn't know that though. I believed that I was weak. And when I read that in your email and especially throughout our conversation today, it holds so true that that shame, that our lid being flipped, not being able to access that feeling of safety, it feels like we are failing ourselves and that we're not strong enough, that we're weak, that we're going through this. And sometimes it takes being recovered or being out of that fight or flight state to go, oh, that wasn't it at yeah. all. I was just trying to survive. And <laughs> that's what that looked like for me then. And that's okay. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I like I, that part of my email. <laughs> I, like, that's so true. No, I love that part. I read that and I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah. And the shame piece being really big and, and, oh yeah, that, that email was about having yeah. compassion for my former self and yeah. being able to see it through like a much, yeah, more compassionate eyes, which sometimes only retrospect gives you. But my, my biggest theme in like in this work is like that we we do make sense mm -hmm. that even the most illogical you know things it seems illogical what we do and it doesn't make sense or it's not what we want but we're doing it anyway like it does make sense there is a there is a way that this all does fit together and it's just like again like putting these pieces together mm -hmm. and figuring out how they all really do work together is part of the process of recovery Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I'm in session with my own therapist or I'm in a session with a client and someone is going, oh, that makes sense. That yeah. experience is valid. I get why that's happening. And mm -hmm. sometimes it just takes someone else saying that to you to go, yeah, oh, wait, it does make sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or that that is everything. Yeah. yeah. When things make sense, I, I, I can get behind it more. I'm like, oh, okay. All I need is for that. That makes me feel safe. I'm like, all right, if something makes sense, then I can, I can live with myself then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate this conversation. And it's, it's really nice to talk with someone too, about just all the different nuances within recovery work. And, um, I always love to hear from other coaches and providers, your takes, your analogies, your metaphors, and all the things that you work with clients on. Cause it's always nice to share those and Hopefully like the person listening to this took one of those analogies and is like, okay, this resonates with me. Yeah. I, I get it now in this sense. That's helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet you. And again, like mm. connections through this work is part of um, why I love it so much. So I appreciate you having me, me too. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Mm -hmm.